This podcast brought to you by Hope 103.2. Lisa Miller is in millions of lounge rooms across the country as the host of ABC News Breakfast, and she's on our screens in the Hope studio every morning. As a foreign correspondent covering terrorist attacks, natural disasters, and many unthinkable tragedies, she's had to process a lot. And Lisa's just released a book called Daring to Fly, all about dealing with the trauma, conquering fear, and learning to report on horror while still holding on to joy. Lisa, thank you for joining me on Hope Breakfast. Ali, it's a pleasure. Journos have had a pretty rough time lately, constantly attacked for going too hard or too soft on leaders. What would you want people to understand about your job? Oh, that we're just human, to be honest, is the first thing. I mean, look, in every industry, there are some bad eggs, but the majority of people I have worked with in the media have been really decent people who want to try and make the world better with their reporting. And I would hope that people would read this book and go, wow, okay, so on screen, she might have seemed confident and and bullish and and knowing that she was totally on top of everything, but actually on the inside, she was just like the rest of us, nervous, suffering from a bit of imposter syndrome, wondering whether she was making the right decisions, wondering whether she had the work-life balance, how her relationships were going. And you walk away and you go, yeah, okay, she's just like us. Mm. Being a foreign correspondent, I mean, that just sounds like such an exciting job. Can you paint a picture of what it was like, some of the joys and also some of the challenges? So I was a foreign correspondent for 12 years for the ABC, two postings in Washington, D.C. at really critical times in the country's history, just after September 11 for the first posting, and then again in the Obama years. And then I went to Europe And my time in Europe ended up being probably the most challenging because it coincided with uh, a a series of terrorist attacks that occurred not just in other places around Europe, but within a kilometre of my home and a kilometre of my workplace. And so that added another challenging element to what I did. But it sounds glamorous the work, you know, you're jumping on planes and flying in a moment's notice and getting phone calls at two o'clock in the morning and being told that there's a a ticket that's been booked at 6am to get you to Turkey, just go, go, go. But it was pretty exhausting. I mean, I got to the stage where the phone would ring in the middle of the night and I'd just go, what's happened? <laughs> you know, like that—that that is because something had always happened. There were earthquakes in Italy or terrorist attacks in Turkey. The night of, um, uh, it was a New Year's Eve going into 2017 when I thought, I'm just going to have an early night because I had a feeling that something might happen in Europe. But then it ended up happening in Turkey. So it was a bit further afield. Um, and it was at a nightclub and people had been killed. So yes, that's the hard stuff. But oh my Lord, I've seen so many wonderful parts of the world, had the most incredible experiences and met incredible people. I mean, for whatever you might have thought of him as a leader, Fidel Castro in Cuba, when I ended up being able to to doorstop him, to interview him through a translator after we'd sort of chased him around Havana for a week, I walked away from that and thought, wow, I've just interviewed Fidel Castro. That is kind of cool, you know? And I I tried to make sure that 
I would pinch myself because I wanted to remember the moments and not be rushing by so quickly because you could get into that state where you were just thinking, what's the next live cross? Um, do we have enough battery power? Do I have enough warm clothes to drop into Moscow? You know, it's the middle of winter. You wanted to say, I'm at the Kremlin. Like, this is incredible. When might I ever be back here? And so I did try and always keep that element of awe with wherever I went and whatever I did. Oh, I can, yeah, imagine just the highs of the job. But, Lisa, also some lows, you know, covering some of those tragedies. How did you not get completely overwhelmed and kind of depressed by some of the things that you saw and had to cover? Well, Look, it is pretty tough at times. I had great colleagues. I think the problem in 2017, which is one of the chapters in the book that even when I read it now, read it back, that my heart still races because I can't quite believe that we were going from one big event to another within a matter of days. And then when we just thought it was all over, the Grenfell building fire happened and people were trapped in the building. And when I looked back at that period, it just seemed like an incredible moment of history, but also did that actually happen? And I recall one moment when I'd worked for like, you know, 40 days straight and I had a day off. And as a foreign correspondent, you all, you often just try to cling on to something that is normal, right? So I thought with my day off, I'm going to go to the dentist. And so I went to the dentist and the dentist didn't know what I did for a job. And one of the first questions, of course, have you been flossing? You know, don't they always ask that? Anyway, I started crying and then I started sobbing. I couldn't stop sobbing. And of course, the dentist thinks, what the hell? I just asked her about flossing. <laughs> and the truth of the matter was, and what I was able to very quickly say to the dentist, this isn't about flossing. This is about the last six months of trauma, of being hyper alert, of being awake when I should be asleep, of having to absorb the grief around me on a daily basis, and it's okay. I'm okay. And no, I haven't flossed. <laughs> <laughs> I got to say, I hate having a conversation with the dentist when they've got all sorts of things in my mouth. It's the worst timing <laughs> for a chat. I know, I know. But at least I knew. And that's part of the thing that we get a whole lot more training now about how to deal with trauma and how to maintain our working lives. And, you know, Knowing when to switch off is super important. Knowing when, you know, knowing how much to exercise, to try to pull back on the drinking if that's how you relax in the evening. Um, so there's a whole lot of tips that we now give journalists and producers and camera operators to try and ensure that we can extend our working life and not be affected. Doesn't mean the stories don't stay with you. The Sandy Hook school shooting in Connecticut, I'll never forget that. That was the one where 20 children died, six adults. I was there within hours of the shooting, spent four or five days on the ground in that tiny town and met and became friendly with the parents of one of the children who was killed. And I don't want that story to never not be with me mm -hmm. because it's important to think about the people we report on and think about what people have gone through and hope that what we have done in our reporting is worthy and somehow made life better in some way. Mm. Oh, absolutely. I just have so much respect for journalists, particularly during this pandemic. You know, the 11am presses every day 
kind of processing everything and delivering it to us. And I, I don't think we've had enough appreciation how essential they've been to our understanding and how we need to act. Well, can I just say on that, Ali, mm. yeah, look, Michael and I, Michael Rowland and I, my co-host, we totally felt it in 2020 because the world had been turned upside down. And every day we got messages from people saying, you know, thank goodness I turn on the television at 6am and you're there. Mm. At least I know there is something I can rely on. Well, that made Michael and I feel like we couldn't take a day off, but we were exhausted. There was one particular day when the news, it was almost every half an hour we were bringing more breaking news. Um, the borders had been closed, the international borders had been closed, Qantas had grounded all its fleet, the AFL season had been completely cancelled immediately. I came home and just walked into my home and climbed into my bed and cried. Yeah. Like it was just, it felt to be live on television for three hours and to sort of be trying to keep all the balls in the air when really, like I said to you and how we started this interview, I'm just human. Yeah. And so all of that news is shocking to me as well, but I can't go on air and go, no. It's a disaster. It's a disaster. I've got to be calm. I've got to make yeah. people feel that they're getting the information. And, you know, it's, look, it's hard, but not as hard as the people who are, who don't have jobs and are struggling. Mm. I mean, not one second do I want to make it sound like, you know, it's so rough and woe is me. Um, that's just giving the thought of, you know, how it is being a journalist through mm. this period. Um, but when people write in and say, I don't know who else to tell, but I've lost my job and my wife's left me and and it's, you know, I can't let those messages just go by. Like mm. I respond to people because they're reaching out to me because they feel that I am a friend on the television and I want them to feel that we are there for them. But it's big. You know, you do feel that responsibility. I do. Uh, that's such a helpful in insight. Thank you, Lisa. Just going back to your book, you share a pretty traumatic event that gave you a real sense of fear to fly, which obviously as a journalist, as a foreign correspondent, is a big part of your job. Can you share what happened there? Yeah, the irony of someone who's afraid of flying, dreaming of becoming a foreign correspondent. When I was a young reporter, I was in North Queensland and we had to fly from Townsville to a mine in central Queensland for a really quick interview. It was a charter plane, it was a six-seater. On the way back to Townsville, we got caught in some storms and there was an airlock on the fuel tank and one of the engines stalled and the propellers spluttered as I was sitting in the back of the plane. I don't know how long it stalled for. Could have just been a second or two. Who knows? But the plane did drop a little bit and I could see the propeller stopping. And when we landed, the pilot sort of said, oh, look, sorry about that. He was trying to change over from the, the main fuel tank to the reserve tank because we were in there up there with these storms. But over a period of years, that became a really debilitating fear where if you'd said to me, I had to get on a Boeing 737 from Brisbane to Sydney, I would be physically sick for three days beforehand, just the thought of getting on this plane. And so the fear built up and built up and built up for about a decade until my then husband said to me, this has got to stop. Like, we can't go on like this. It's just the fear was controlling our lives. And so I did a fear of flying course and 
it took a while. It took a couple of years after the course to get to a point where I thought I am cured, but it happened. And what happened from that, getting over a fear, meant I felt so empowered because when you've got something that is just eating away at you and then you can get through it, you then think you can do anything. (laughs) So one of the things I did do, which, you know, people thought I was totally crazy, was um, I did an Olympic distance triathlon. But I had to learn how to swim. (laughs) (laughs) So, So when we talk about, you know, despite everything I've gone through, that I have still managed to find the joy in life and I'm just so incredibly lucky that that has been the way I frame things, you know, if things go badly for me, i.e. I was in a mid-air incident and developed a 10-year fear of flying, I think, yeah, but if I hadn't gone through that, would I then have had the experience of overcoming a fear and understanding how incredibly powerful that could be? Well, Lisa, thank you so much for sharing. Uh, Your book, Daring to Fly, is out now. Really appreciate you coming on Hope Breakfast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. Start your day with life words. Subscribe to Hope 1032's free daily email devotional at hope1032.com.au.